How many of you guys like roller coasters or those really crazy rides? You know the one where they where they drop the floor out, like you go up in an elevator and they drop the floor out? Anybody like those? Some of you guys are that weird, huh? I got to tell you, why would you go into a ride that mimics something that could possibly happen in your life sometime? Every time you got in an elevator from that point in your life, you should be terrified. That's just craziness. I was thinking through as we as we come to this story about Jesus and the leper, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about what their lifestyle was like, um, the, the, the isolation, the loneliness that they experienced, and the desperation that must have been in this leper's heart for him to come forward and to approach Jesus uh, as a rabbi and, and to violate the rules that come with the cultural expectations uh, for this man and the disease that he had. Um, and I was thinking through my own life, where was a time um, that I was desperate to where, you know, where, where I'd be pushed to that level. And I, I honestly have to tell you, I don't have any thing in my life that would put me at that place. Uh, the, the, the closest thing I could think of was um, a particular event we had on our farm. And uh, we had a cow, a fairly new cow to our herd, and she was supposed to give birth. So we went out to get her, and she became angry. And I don't know if you've ever been around an angry mama cow, but um, they do crazy stuff. And so my dad's on the tractor, and my brother, and uh, we had another friend there. The three of us are running around his tractor from this angry mom who was trying to kill us. And so in, in the process, I don't know if you've ever been in that moment where you're running for your life. And the longer you do that around the tractor, even if you're maintaining a decent distance between you and the cow, there's a psychological thing that happens to you because you're doing the same thing and it's not resolving any of your problems. And at one point, the young man that was not, he was not, actually did not grow up on the farm with us. My brother and I knew, don't get away from the tractor. We knew she couldn't turn as fast as us. So we just stayed right on the tractor. But at one point, he finally broke. And he's like, I got to do something different. And he takes off in a straight line away from the tractor running for the fence. And he didn't make it. Um, that mama cow plowed him into the ground and, I mean, broken rib. He got clobbered. But I understood the terror in his heart because my brother and I were thinking the same thing. What are we going to do? We're out in the middle of this field with an angry cow who's faster than us in a straight line. And uh, we were a little nervous. The day went on, and unfortunately, for uh, the cow was actually in really bad shape, and she didn't end up surviving the whole thing. It, it, it all turned out really poorly, and we had ropes break, and it was just a nuts day. I won't give you the details. If you want to know about that story, you have to buy me coffee, and I'll tell you more about that. But this idea of being isolated, alone, and, and desperate to the point where you would cry out or do something different, something that would violate a cultural norm or an expectation, or even the law, really, because um, there was very specific laws for people that had leprosy to follow. This leper had to have been in a desperate, desperate place, and he saw something in Jesus that caused him to step into the story. Would you follow along with me in Mark chapter 1, verse 40, as we begin this morning? Jesus, the story goes on, Mark tells us in 1, verse 40, and the leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was clean. 
And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Uh, we're going to look at several different things in the text this morning. The first, uh, the, this idea that the, the leper humbles himself. Did you catch his request of Jesus? Um, I, I know I'd, I'd read a, a contemporary um, a commentary not long ago, and it was interesting. The, the, the debate that they got into was, was the uh, leper challenging Jesus' authority to heal him? I don't know where they, I don't know how you get off on some things. We do that, don't we? We get off on goofy things. We're looking at information and we, we get lost in discussion. And I, I, as I was wrestling through this, I love his heart. I love what the leper asks Jesus. Um, if you can imagine, he doesn't come and say, Jesus, make me clean. He, he puts himself in a position that says, if you will, you can make me clean. He states his faith in his belief in who Jesus is, but he surrenders himself, I believe, to the will of Christ. It's an amazing posture. I, I love that he offers that up. We see the story repeated in Matthew uh, chapter 8, uh, verses 2 through 4. Interestingly enough, not, not as much detail, not as much about this story in in Chapter 8 of Matthew says, And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleaned. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Interesting in this process is the, the leper's posture of humility, and, and he comes and presents himself. I was thinking in my own head, how do I approach Jesus for the things that I want? Um, you guys all know I'm kind of goofy in the, the whole car, uh, motorcycle world, and so I was actually praying for some nice weather. Um, I know some of you need Jesus more than I do, and you were praying for snow still. I won't name the name of the individual because he goes to our church, and I don't want you to kill him. Um, but I was praying for good weather. Now, why was I praying for good weather? It was completely selfish. Completely selfish. That's what it was. I wanted to go out and do nice things, and I wanted the snow to be gone. What, what, what would my prayer have looked like if I would have come to this posture of surrendered humility before the Lord? I might have said something more like, Lord, I know you can change the weather, but your will be done. Anybody else pray like that with me this week at all? Man, taking a humble posture before God, surrendering our lives to his will. I was thinking through as we pray for Devin and the cancer that he's dealing with. There's so many times it's so easy for me to pray for God's will for everyone else. But when it comes to the stuff that I'm dealing with, it's so much harder for me to say, your will be done. What a challenge for us to consider as we enter into our engagement with the Lord today. As we consider the things that he is doing in our lives, the things that we see as challenges, challenges or difficulties in our lives, how we approach him 
I think it's very, very important. The leper says, if you will, you can heal me. Heal me. Interesting, and this is, we're not going to address this too much this morning, but in verse 41, there's actually a, a disagreement or uh, there's uh, two different words that are used there uh, by two different manuscripts. So uh, one of them says moved with pity. One of them actually implies anger that happened there. We're not going to address that. I, I spent a little while wrestling with that going, oh, this could be so much fun. We could, you know, have a, a, a debate on, on these things. And, and, uh, What's interesting, as I wrestled with it, was if it is anger, who is he angry at? Was it the leper? Was he really, you know, was it a lack of faith from him, but then Jesus heals him, so that must not be? Was he, anyway, you can just see where my head went. I said, man, I feel like I'm spinning. Let's get back to the text. Whether Jesus was moved with pity or moved with anger, he stretched out his hand and he touched the leper. One of the coolest things about this whole process is that in the Levitical law, and we're not going to read it today, don't panic, um, but I am going to give you the reference for it because there's two chapters that Leviticus actually dedicates to skin diseases for Israel and how to deal with it and the sacrifices that come with it and, and all of those things. And, and it's an important aspect to understand what this uh, uh, leper was dealing with. So that's your homework, if you will, for next week. You've got to read Leviticus 13 and 14. Um, it's in your notes. Hopefully you'll see that, but you should go and read that. It's, it's intriguing. Uh, but Jesus stretches out his hand and touches him. Now, what, do we, what, what is our idea of infectious disease today? Well, not, not, not what disease. There's many, many diseases, but how do we deal with them? If you guys, has anybody ever been in the hospital where they've quarantined a room? Yeah, it's pretty significant, right? You put on these big monster suits and, and masks, and they put tape over the door. Uh, that, may, that might be a little exaggeration. They do put tape over the door. I've actually seen that. But, I mean, you're, they're using all kinds of hand cleaners and gloves and, and everything. And when you come out of a room where there's that kind of disease, you're supposed to throw away everything that you're wearing. You, so you don't transfer it to anybody else because it's infectious disease is infectious it gets transferred. It's, it's very, very dangerous. And leprosy, um, and I don't know all the technical. There's br brighter people in here about medicine uh, than I am as far as what all the different strains of leprosy are. But to touch a leper um, would have been considered a pretty risky thing. Um, many of them, if, as you read through the Levitical law, they were required to live in separate towns to live outside in the wilderness, away from people. They lost their families. They lost their living. They lost everything, even their place of worship. It was a significant thing. And so here comes this leopard, and he, he shows up, and Jesus responds as he reaches out and touches him. And he restores his body, makes him clean. What a beautiful moment in, in, can you imagine his disciples? Uh, Jesus, we know you're new here in town, but not supposed to do that. Can you imagine his disciples, how, how much they like to try and help Jesus? I can only imagine the conversation. Now, here's the part that is amazing to me. All of this is true. The miracle of this moment, the faith of the leper, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more at the end, the, the faith of the leper. But one of the things that really has been kind of rattling around in my head is, why is Jesus constantly telling them not to tell anybody? Is it just the rebellious nature of people? It's like, hey, don't go do that. Let's watch him do it. Is that what he was doing? I don't think so. I really don't believe so. Um, look in Matthew chapter 9. 
you're going to see uh, that, that Jesus actually does this for a different group of people. It, it wasn't, it, this was not just, uh, it wasn't just for those who had leprosy. Um, he, we see him do this with many different individuals that he has, that he has healed or done a miracle for. But in, in um, Matthew chapter 9, verse 30, we catch this. And this is when he heals two blind men. He says to them in verse 30, and their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warns them, see that, you, uh, see that no one knows about this. Now, I know there's more context than normally do that, but I'm saving some of our time in the text for a few other verses this morning. So we're just grabbing this one verse. But Jesus does this with other people. He warns them, don't say anything about this. Now, if Jesus was actually in a good uh, strategy or if he was using a good church-building model, would you want your people to tell about the great things that are happening in your church, right? Right? I mean, that's the discipleship model. We equip the body to go out and do the work of the ministry. You guys hear that regularly, right? Go and be a light. You tell about Jesus. Don't, don't bring him here to get me to say something about it. That was a, that was a freebie. That's, what we're, that's the model that we always do. You guys go and tell. And here Jesus is doing the exact opposite. What could he be doing? I think one of the most amazing truths, and, and I believe this could be one of the reasons, uh, Jesus could, it could be that Jesus knew the time was not complete. Look in John chapter 7. Verses 1 through 9. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judah, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jewish feast of booths was at hand, so his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret, for he seeks to, know, uh, to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you. But it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. Is it possible that Jesus knew that his time was not complete? I, I believe that that's one of the reasons that Jesus was holding back. Don't you love it that his brothers are saying, hey, if you're really serious about this, go and show yourself to everybody. I, I just love the fact that even in Jesus' own family, they were messed up. Not even his own brothers believed in who he was at this point in time, which, of course, is not a surprise to us, right? Some of y'all have brothers and sisters. They, they, know, they know who we are, and they, they would have a hard time believing that that we were very great. It could be that Jesus knew that the time was not complete. I think another, another key element is this, is that Jesus was giving the religious leaders an opportunity to respond to this message. Uh, Matthew 10, verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, <clears throat> cast out demons. You, will re uh, you received without, pay, uh, without pain, go or give without pay. 
Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belt, no bag for your journey, or two, uh, or two turn tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more taller or more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. It appears that part of Jesus' mission and goal was to go and, and bring the light, bring the truth to the, Jew, to, to the, his, the children, the, the, the chosen people of Israel. And I love the fact, I, it, it really, it, it's encouraging to me that one of the key things that I think he was trying to do is to give his people a chance to respond to his word. We, we know from history, if you look in the Old Testament, you will see that God did several different things to try and show Israel that the, that the Gentiles responded to his word, that they would respond when God showed up. Jonah was one of the great examples of that. Jonah goes and probably gives one of the most spiritually inspired gospel presentations that's ever been done in the history of man. Repent or you're going to burn. Can you, I mean, he hated the Ninevites. Can you imagine the heartfelt compassion that he expressed to them as he went through the town? We know that he loved them because he sat on the hill at, afterwards waiting for God to destroy him. And then he got angry at God because he didn't. What a passionate man. And yet Nineveh responds to the word of God in the midst of Israel rebelling to the word of God. We know that this is the nature and the heart of God. He's done it over and over in the Old Testament for his people. And we see him doing it here, I believe, again, as Jesus warns these people, no, don't go say anything, but go to the priests. I want you to go to the temple, and I want you to offer to them. Uh, you, you bring the offering that Moses requires, and you fulfill that and show them who you are. They are the ones that need to hear this, and they need to respond to this truth. In Luke chapter 17, verses 11 and 19, we see a very similar story, and Jesus, Jesus does a similar thing, and it, it emphasizes the fact that for whatever reason, for the, for the Israelite people at that time, the foreigners, the, 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 the Gentiles tended to respond more quickly to the Lord. Luke 17, verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he, met by, uh, he, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voice, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Uh, where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. So here we see Jesus sending a proof uh, 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 to the priests where we actually see him commanding this 
this Jewish man to go and make the appropriate sacrifices to fulfill the law. And, and again, that's the, uh, Le- uh, Leviticus uh, 13 and 14, if you want to go back and read that section of that passage. The, the question that, has been just rest, that I've been wrestling with in this whole process is, what is our response to God's answers? When, when we think about how, the, and we know this from, from our reading of the Gospels, that even though the Pharisees and, and the priests, they see all of these truths, and um, many of them, I think, come to believe after Christ's resurrection, and we'll, we're going to read a little story about that here in just a second, but when the leopard responds to Jesus, when he shows up and he, and he prostrates himself before him and he, and he offers his life and says, if you will, you can cleanse me, his response is that of faith. He responds to the Lord and, and God heals him and, and he moves on. When the Pharisees see it, they become angry with Jesus and they plan to kill him. They're watching the same event, the same movement of God, and they're, the, the leaders, the, the people of God, the, the priests, their response is to actually turn in anger towards Jesus, and they want to kill him. And of course, in, in my head, I start thinking to myself, um, man, how do we respond? Let, let's look at how, this, how, how the, the leadership responds to Jesus. The priests respond to him. Matthew 12, uh, verses 38 through 42. Verse 38 of Matthew 12. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they, res- they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The scribes and the Pharisees, their response to Jesus was, show us more miraculous signs. As he engaged with them and did the stuff that happened, he called them an evil and adulterous generation. The people that had the word of God, that had the truth, that that should have been aware, that should have seen. And I, I want to remind us, we're going to see this uh, as we finish out Mark. Many, there, there were believers that came out of that camp. We're not throwing all of them away. That, that, would, be, that would be inaccurate. There were Pharisees and there were, there were, I believe, priests, and there were many people that believed that came out of that truth. But we see a narrative that is driven by those who are in charge of, of, that era, of those groups to kill Christ. And their response to when they see him do these things was to actually become his enemy and to kill him. For some reason, he threatened their religion. Think about that for a second. Jesus threatened their religion, which was all about who? Him. So my question for us is, what is our response to God's answer? 
Are we like the Pharisees? Does surrendering our lives to Jesus threaten our religion? Are we so convinced in America, in, in our faith, that, that comfort and, and what we want and what we, should, what we should be given or the rights that we have, are we so wrapped up in that, that if Jesus were to come and say, no, this is what I want from you, we'd say, um, that's not what I signed up for. Sorry, God. What if he was to ask for all our money? He's done that one before. Any volunteers? What if he was at what what if he asked to send us to some foreign country where Christians are dying regularly? What what if he asked of well no missions organization is going to support you and do that? That's crazy. They don't send you to those places. Yeah, but what if God asked? What if God asked us to die to ourselves here and love one another, even though we don't particularly like everyone here? Sorry, keep forgetting we're not supposed to talk about that. What would our response be to Jesus if he asked from us the thing that we worship the most, whatever that is? Would we respond like the leper or would we respond like the Pharisees? The scary part, the hardest part for me is to realize that I I think there's moments that I would respond more like the Pharisee than the leper. Where I would say, no, 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 Lord, really? We don't have to give up that. I I don't need to go there. It doesn't have to cost this much, does it? As As opposed to, if you will, whatever, whatever. You will. My heartache is that I think that because I've never, I can't think in my mind of times where I've been so desperate, where I've been so alone, I've been so downcast that I had nothing left. And all I found was Jesus. And I believe that there's times that responding like the leper requires that kind of emptiness. And I don't want to sign up for it. That's not my first call. That's not, my, that's not what I think of is when I set out my day is, God, empty me so I have nothing left so that I only worship you. That's not how I enter my days. But I'm convicted that maybe it should be. And the, when you start seeing that your heart's going, but isn't that what I'm supposed to be like? And you're going, no, don't do that. How many of you prayed for patience this week? Knock it off. That's crazy. We make jokes about those kind of things. But what if he asked for it? How would we respond? We're going to watch many other people respond to the Lord. And we're coming, we're coming to a season. We're coming to Easter, which our Lord and Savior modeled for us. Not my will, but yours be done. He knew what was coming. 
and he still chose to obey. Do you guys realize that that's one of the greatest gifts I think God gives us is he doesn't tell us what he's going to ask of us tomorrow? Man, if he did, I'd run like Jonah. I am convinced of it. I, I would like to think that I'd be like, no, let's go. Your will be done. But I think honestly in my heart I would run like Jonah. Just being honest. It's such a blessing that he waits to tell us what he's going to ask us to step up to for later. We have a, a saying that we um, kind of, I don't know if we coined it. We're probably not bright enough to have coined it, but we used it to help in Enius Valley. It was obey today. Surrender sooner and obey today. I don't know what God's calling for you. I don't know what he's asking you to give up. I don't know if he's asking anything of you at this point other, other than just to trust him with something. I don't know. I know some of the stuff in my life that he's saying, you know, you, you love that more than me. I know what those things are, and I, I need to address them. But the reality is, is that my response to God has to be that I obey today. When he reveals something to me that he wants, when he asks for something, when I recognize that I am as desolate and desperate as a leper, that my response is to come to him and say, Lord, if you will, make me clean. I want to follow you. I want to be yours. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness, your mercy, your mercy, your long-suffering, the way in which you are so gentle and and patient with us. I thank you, God, that in the midst of our weakness, you continue to call us to yourself. That your arms are open. And that because of your cross, your death, and your, be- your resurrection, Lord Jesus, your blood, I am clean. And I can stand before my Father. But God, I confess today that I wrestle with surrendering every day. I wrestle with the comforts of this life. I wrestle with the the material goods of this life. I wrestle with the physical uh, desire to, to be out of pain and not be sick, to not have disease. That I struggle with all those things. And that at times my heart and my eyes can be so misfocused. that I become angry with you when I don't get my way. Father, the truth is that I need to be emptied so that all I have is you. And that scares me to death. By faith and in obedience... I want to pray with my brothers and sisters here this morning that if you will, would you make me clean? Help me in my unbelief. Help me to trust you when I don't. Empty me so that I only worship you. Help us, God, to respond like the leper.
in faith and submission to you, our one true God.